welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. In each episode of our podcast, we read a saga, discuss its story, and judge the actions of the characters at The Saga Thing. Um, oh, no, before we start, I want to remind everybody that we are on Facebook and Twitter. Shouldn't they know that by now? Well, the announcement is for new listeners. It's not for our well-established, loyal, and even maniacal followers. Okay, well, if that's the case, then it's hardly a reminder. I mean, you remind someone of something they might already know. If this Facebook and Twitter bit is for new listeners, uh, they can't have forgotten yet, can they? Okay, we're not even a minute in and you've already mentioned derail us. Sorry about that. Well, anyway, speaking of loyal followers, I want to extend ah. a special thanks to Andrew Volkoskis and his team of game makers at Pendlehaven for their very kind Christmas gift. Oh, that's right. They sent us each a copy of their companion book to their role-playing game, Fate of the Norns, colon, Ragnarok. Yes. Now, I don't know how much time you spent with it, but I've done a fair amount of digging in my copy. Mm -hmm. uh, and if fans of Saga Thing are into role-playing games, this one looks really fantastic, incredibly detailed, and uh, quite beautifully put together. Even if our fans aren't into role-playing games, it's still worth checking out for the artwork alone. Yeah, I mean, it looks really amazing. Uh, again, thanks to Andrew and the team at Pendlehaven for the kind gift. Absolutely. Um, and if any of our listeners are interested in the game or the artwork, you can check it out at fateofthenorns.com. Excellent, yes. Uh, can I add one more plug for our friends at Rex Factor? By all means, plug away. Well, as we said in our very first episode, our podcast was inspired by Rex Factor, a podcast that surveyed all the kings and queens of England from Alfred the Great to Elizabeth II. And not long ago, they finished that survey, but Graham and Ali are back. I want to say that uh, uh, Alfred the Great was robbed in the final. He was robbed. I was, I was rather <laughs> disappointed myself. Uh, but it was up to the public to choose, so I can't, I well, guess can't blame Graham the and public, Ali. The public robbed him. No. Well, they're back with a whole new series on kings and queens of the Scots. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one because I don't know nearly as much about Scottish royal history. Yeah, I think most of us are in the same boat. So uh, we'll just fill that gap in our knowledge by listening to Rex Factor. There you go. Yeah. And if you like Saga Thing and you don't already listen to Rex Factor, please check them out. I think you'll enjoy it quite a bit. Agreed. Uh, you can download their episodes at rexfactor.podbean.com. And uh, because they've already gone through several years of episodes and upload pretty regularly... Um, you'll be able to entertain yourself in the long gaps between our new episodes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And with that, I think we're done with plugs, right? Oh, that was a short one, actually. Thanks for listening, everyone. No, no, no. I said we're done with plugs. We've got to get to our saga. Oh, oh, right. Um, yeah, like you didn't I, know. I've, <laughs> I've actually been looking forward to this one. It's, it, I think it's one of the hidden gems of the saga world. Is it really hidden, John? It's right there in the Penguin volume we've been using. <laughs> It's even translated in English. It's commented on by scholars. It's available for anyone. Very well, then. It's a diamond in the rough. How about you just hit the button so everyone knows they're in for? All right. In this episode, we cover our penultimate warrior poet saga. And it might be one of the best. In one corner, Bjorn dubbed champion of the Heterdal people after slaying Kaldemar the Russian. Like other warrior poets, Bjorn is betrothed to a beautiful woman before he travels the northern sea world. He's noble, clever, and heroic in nearly every way. In the other corner we have Thord Kolbinson, a weakling, a coward, and a conniving antagonist in the tradition of Narfi. The saga is driven by the hatred these two men feel for each other and the effect this has on their district. Bjorn Saga features dragon fights, pornographic sculptures, feats of heroism, ambushes, and plenty of naughty poetry. 
these warrior poets never seem to get the girl, but Bjorn isn't your average warrior poet. Will he be the exception to the rule, or will he fall to the machinations of the dastardly Thord? Find out as Saga Thing covers... The Saga of Bjorn, Champion of the Hitadal People! Well, if nothing else, this has got to be one of the coolest titles for a saga. I guess it is, but a cool title doesn't necessarily mean a universally respected saga. For example... Uh, oh, smooth segue. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, uh, no, seriously, Bjorn starts out like a fairly typical warrior poet saga, which I'm sure our listeners are somewhat bored of by now, but I promise you this is a little <laughs> bit better. It's a little different. Uh, but yeah. like the others, Bjorn falls in love, he gets engaged, then he travels around having adventures. In the meantime, another man swoops in and marries his beloved before he can return to claim her. And while I sympathize with Bjorn's situation, some people find him a little petulant, maybe a bit overly aggressive after he finds out what's happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, William Sayers says that Bjorn is more like Gunlaug's serpent tongue in that he, quote, lets circumstance intervene in what should be a smooth path to wedded bliss, and then persists in jealousy and bitterness, his stoic posturing infused with self-pity. Oh, my. Uh, that's probably fair, but... Nah, it, not really. I mean, it's important to note, well, Bjorn's bitterness is what fuels the saga. That's he's true. A, he's a belligerent man with a tendency to push things too far. Uh, but he's also handy with the insult poetry, mm-hmm. right, which is kind of the, the engine that drives the saga. He offers up a wide variety of insults. Um, case in point, last year at Kalamazoo, um, I heard Rebecca Strapel give a really interesting paper that focused yeah. entirely on the non-sexual insults in this saga. Hmm. I would say any saga that offers so many insults that they have to be classified by degree of sexual explicitness <laughs> is probably worth reading. Well, it's certainly what I'm looking forward to most. Well... Now- now, is there any chance we could get Rebecca on the podcast to talk about this? I mean, we're going to be in Kalamazoo in May. We might grab her. Well, <laughs> I have <laughs> no idea if she's a listener or not, but we'll we'll see if we can find her in the hallways. Yeah, it'd be kind of cool. Uh, now, part of what makes the insult poetry in this saga so interesting is that Bjorn is not actually the central poet figure. His his rival, Thord Kolbinson, is actually the better-known poet, both mm-hmm. in the saga and historically. Uh, yeah. Thord's poem, Ericstrapa, for example, was well-regarded in its own time and continues to be praised by scholars. Uh, To take one example, Margaret Clooney's Ross argues that Ericstrapa breaks ground in subject matter, diction, and diverse form. Sure, sure. But doesn't she also argue that the poem was actually written by a law speaker named Marcus Skegjason? No. (laughs) (laughs) Something tells me you're just trying to position to make Thord look better so you can choose him as Thingman. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm not tipping my hand just yet. Uh, but there's some debate about this. Uh, one line of thought is that Thord and Marcus are actually the same person, um, or that or that there are two people whose stories have been conflated into one. Okay. Well, that's a bit confusing, I think. Sorry. <laughs> but the saga <laughs> author's unsteady use of his poetic sources is something of a theme of Bjorn saga criticism. Uh, our old friend Jonas Christensen puts it this way. One might perhaps suggest that the author had too much old poetry at his disposal and was reluctant to ignore it and not fully competent to utilize it. Wow. That's some strong mead from Christensen. Yeah, I know. But honestly, I'm not sure I agree with him. There is a lot Mm. of poetry here, but I thoroughly enjoy the poetry in this poem. I don't... 
I also don't think it has the kind of clumsy, forced inclusion of poetry like uh, like it did in Cormac's saga. Uh-huh. Christensen also uh, points out that it's among the earliest sagas. Well, that, I mean, that's true. Um, and it, it does mean that some have seen a chance with the saga to see the water poet motif at a stage when it's least influenced by continental models. Mm-hmm. In other words, when it's at its most Icelandic. Yeah, right. Uh, but I'm a little skeptical of that view, and I think you are yeah, as me well. Too. Uh, mm-hmm. As we've mentioned before, continental and Icelandic literary traditions were far more interwoven from a much earlier period than they're usually given credit for. Yeah, and and honestly, with saga dating, we're really talking about a matter of you know decades in between these different things. Right. So trying to identify what exactly is happening when it's a little bit hard. A to, fool's errand. Hard, yeah, exactly. A mugs game. Yeah. So uh, are we ready to dive right into this saga now, John? Almost. Almost. Uh, really? As always, we'd like to give a word count for those of you who like keeping track of that sort of thing. Oh, I completely forgot uh, that we did that. <laughs> Bjorn's saga weighs in at a very respectable 20,476 words, <clears throat> which works out to be about 2.24 Kravinkel sagas. So do you seriously think anyone but you is paying attention to that sort of thing at this point? Like somebody has a chart I, in their room? I like to think so, yes. <laughs> okay. All right, so this saga actually begins with a curious little manuscript problem. How so? Well, it's missing the first five chapters. I don't know if you noticed that while you're reading. <laughs> well, that is a problem, yes. Yeah. Now, fortunately, there's a convenient, if overly simplistic, solution, which is that modern editions of the saga generally just insert a section from the saga of St. Olaf, which covers the same period and people as Bjorn's saga. Oh, well, that's handy. It, it does create some quirks in the narrative, though, which I guess we'll talk about as we go along, if we remember to. Uh, yeah, well... <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, We've mentioned before that the early chapters of a saga pack a whole lot of family information into a small space. That's right. Usually Uh, we're we're looking at the previous generation or many generations before. Right. But with this saga's introduction missing, we're left to try to reconstruct some important stuff. Uh, One thing it's worth mentioning right now is that, like all the other warrior poets, Bjorn has a brother whose temperament differs from his own. Mm -hmm. The unassuming and naive Asgrim. Oh, uh, yes. But because of the lost intro, there's no reference to Asgrim until very, very late in the saga. On the other hand, one of the nicer side effects of cutting and pacing this section is that we get to our main protagonist very quickly. Bjorn mm-hmm. is introduced in just like the third paragraph of the saga, and there's virtually no time spent on the preceding generations or any of the other prelude stuff that so often begins the saga. And yet we get a ton of information in a short space nevertheless. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to read the quick intro of Bjorn himself. Okay. A man called Bjorn, son of Arngir and of Thordis, daughter of Thorfinn the Strong, and Sion, daughter of Skallagrim, grew up with Skuli Thorstensen at board. Now that introduction is really significant, but it's a classic case of a saga expecting you to do your homework. Yeah, but this is where I think a lot of readers' eyes glaze over and they just kind mm. of skip over these uh, genealogical blurbs. But I think it's good for us. <laughs> I think uh, we can show yeah. people the value, or maybe we can try to. Well, and I just these, love this stuff. Yeah, let's right. dig I mean, into I, these I genealogical blurbs. Yeah. Uh, so right away, this saga establishes Bjorn as a scion of the Murar clan, the uh, who what? are the descendants the Murar clan. Murar. Uh, who are the descendants of Skallagrim Kveldovsen. Mm. Uh, Bjorn and Skuli are both great-grandsons of Skallagrim. Skuli is the grandson of the famous Eil Skallagrimsen, mm-hmm. while Bjorn is the grandson of Eil's sister Sion. Now, there we go again. I mean, these mm-hmm. last few episodes, it seems like we are running into Ailes family over and over. Uh-huh. When are we going to bite the bullet and just tackle Ailes saga head on? Soon enough. 
Oh, well, I'm ready when you are. Although, <laughs> it's been taking us so long between episodes that I wonder if a saga the size of Ale Saga is just going to break us. Well, I'm sorry. Um, for now, <laughs> what I love about this is that the saga author has managed to give us the full and precise historical family line of both mm-hmm. Bjorn and Skuli and establish their places as leading men of the clan in their generation in less than 30 words. That's impressive. And, of course, it's even fewer words in the original Icelandic. The yeah. Sagas are routinely well, held I mean, up as masterpieces of writing economy, but oh. even by those standards, this is pretty remarkable. True, but again, this economy of writing is due to the author of St. Olaf's Saga, who is likely a, an actual historian and not Bjorn's, who's interested in writing a family saga. Right. Absolutely right, absolutely right. Uh, as for Bjorn himself, we learn elsewhere in the saga that he's very tall and handsome, mm-hmm. with a freckled face and curly red hair, the Conan O'Brien of the oh. saga world. Right. Uh, he's also a bit weak-sighted, especially as he gets older. Well, who isn't these days? Well. Yeah. We're also told that uh, Bjorn lives with Skuli to get away from some trouble brewing between his family and Thord Kolbinson, uh, a local bully and Bjorn's chief enemy throughout the saga. Yeah, Thord's going to be one of those saga figures we love to hate around here. Love to he's hate a, him. Oh, my God. He's a mouthy man who's eager to start trouble, mm-hmm. but also eager to weasel his way out of the consequences. Not a good fighter, either. He's... Oh, not at all. Um, it's it's almost as if Narfi from our last episode were sort of promoted to a more important role. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's not all bad uh, for Bjorn at this stage. Uh, while he's living with his cousin Skuli, he makes the acquaintance of a local island dweller named Thorval Dugfusson, excuse me, and his daughter, Odni... Isle Candle. Nicknames. Hey, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> once he's grown up, Bjorn decides to see the world by signing on with a Norwegian trading ship. But before he goes, he wants to settle things down with Odni. Now, unlike some of the other warrior poet sagas, there's no real conflict here between Bjorn and Odni's father, Thorkel. Right. He's actually quite happy to have a promising lad like Bjorn as a potential son-in-law, and so they make arrangements with Odni's consent. It's quite Right, and that's peaceful. really interesting, because um, as we noted in the previous episodes, the tropes of continental romances usually mean that these women have very little say in their marriages. Right. Uh, remember Kolfina in Halford's saga telling Halford that she'll leave her betrothal to, quote, those who have a say in the matter. Yeah, and the others where they don't even have a say at all. Right. Right. Um, this author also wants to make it clear that Oldney's not cut from that cloth. Mm. Uh, we're told that Thorkel referred the decision to his daughter, and because Bjorn was already known to her and they had come to love each other dearly, she consented. Now, Diana Whaley points to this as an unusual feature of the narrative, but it's really mm-hmm. only unique among the subgenre of the warrior poet sagas. There are actually a number of examples of women being allowed to choose their mates in Norse myth, as well as in other sagas. True, absolutely true. Um, and in and this I case, think the... by the uh, I think by the thirteenth century and if if depending on when you want to date something, but by the thirteenth century, that's uh mm-hmm. that's a, a quite popular theme in, in saga literature. I would absolutely agree. And of course, you know, you're something of the expert on this, but um, examples are pretty easy to come by. Yeah. Uh, but everything's settled with great warmth on both sides. Uh, everybody's happy. The only fine print is that if Bjorn should fail to return for three years, Odney is free to entertain other offers of marriage. Yeah, but what are the odds of that happening? Really? Well, <laughs> given you our know? recent track record, I think it's fair <laughs> to be somewhat concerned. 
Yeah, that's probably wise. Uh, but for now, all is well. Bjorn mm-hmm. travels to Norway, where he uses his cousin Skuli's connections to win a place in the retinue of Earl Erik Haukonerson, and mm-hmm. he settles in very, very well. But it's mm-hmm. not long before another ship arrives from Iceland, and this one's carrying Bjorn's former tormentor, Thord Kolbinson. Now, you would expect that Bjorn and Thord would renew their enmity, but remember that, uh, as we've talked about before, Icelanders yeah. in the sagas are meticulous about presenting a united front to outsiders when they're abroad, and right. especially when they're surrounded by Norwegians. That's right, which makes sense since it reflects both the nostalgic national pride of the sagas and also the unease about Norwegian manipulation of Icelandic political rifts in the later Sturlunga age. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what that means in this case is that when Earl Eric asks Bjorn about Thord and vice versa, they praise one another to the Earl and each encourages him to treat the other with respect. Mm-hmm. There's a sort of saccharine sweetness to their praise, uh, which, you know, a smarter man might spot. Yeah. But it sails by Eric, who's some, sort of a simple-minded man. And both are allowed to stay at court. And when the two Icelanders manage to speak alone, Thord proposes that they let bygones be bygones and act as friends. Don't trust him, Bjorn. He's well, no, actually, <laughs> he's a bad guy. They get along together for quite a while. But Bjorn does remain a bit suspicious of Thord. As well he should. One night during the winter, Thord and Bjorn mm. get drunk together, and Thord <coughs> begins questioning Bjorn closely about his plans. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, uh, we're actually currently see? working on a saga brief about drinking culture in the sagas. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually a fair amount of danger to getting too tipsy in public in these, in these stories. Right. Anything said while drunk is still considered to be a fair representation of your word and honor. Yeah, so if you're the sort to become talkative or overly friendly when drunk, you can end up writing big checks that I guess you'll have to cash in later. Same thing with, uh, you know, if you're a little bit aggressive, you can kind of boast and then end up in a big fight. Right, absolutely true. Uh, And then, of course, there's the potential physical dangers of being incapacitated by booze if you've got enemies around. Yeah, I mean, we're not talking about a bucket of warm water or the shaving cream gag here. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting a glimpse into your misspent youth here. Um, um, yeah, I've done the shade. Yeah, I've been there. I I, I, I um, remember staying up so late right. one night uh, at a, at a sleepover. Uh, again, I, I, in this instance, I wasn't uh, incapacitated by booze. It was just a bunch of <laughs> middle school age boys. So around. you say. And I didn't want to get uh, I didn't want to get the shaving cream gag done to me. And sure. uh, so I stayed up the whole night. And then right before my parents came in the morning, I dozed off on the couch. <laughs> And they got me, like, literally, my parents drove up, and I smacked myself in the face with some shaving cream. (laughs) And I was quite pissed off. Uh, Well, I imagine so. Um, And actually, if we, uh, to to drag this back to the sagas. (laughs) I don't know how you can do that. A trip down Andy's memory garden. (laughs) Um, If we think back to Gisli's saga, um, Gisli was able to escape after killing Thorgrim, Mm -hmm. in part because everyone else was too drunk to do anything useful. And, of course, if he hadn't been drunk himself, Thorgrim might have been more suspicious of that extra hand feeling around in his bed right mm. before Gisli speared him through the chest. Right. But what's happening here is more the loose lips problem. They sink ships. Bjorn, <laughs> Bjorn <laughs> Thank is... you, 1940s American propaganda poster. Yeah, exactly. Someone talked. <laughs> Look that up if you don't know what that is. Uh, Bjorn's talking too freely, and Thord learns that Bjorn intends to delay his return to Iceland so that he can go raiding and add to his reputation, which is a reasonable thing to do. Now, Thord convinces Bjorn to hand over a hefty ring that Bjorn received from Earl Eric, which mm. he promises to carry back to Iceland and to Odney with a message of Bjorn's continued intent to marry her. And Bjorn falls for this. Well, 
he is drunk at the time. It's one of those more upsetting moments in the saga where you're like, don't do it! Right. But again, and, again, you know, anything you do while drunk is still considered to be legitimate. Yeah. So anyway, the next morning he realizes he's, he's probably made a mistake, but right. he is sort of stuck. And so he limits himself to exacting one more promise from Thord, which is, please don't betray my trust. Oh, Bjorn, 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 you poor fool. Yeah. Friends don't let friends drink and entrust private messages to their fiancés. Yeah, exactly. And if, if I mean, we've been doing the Warrior Poet Saga, so I think everyone knows what's going to happen here. Right, In the course. summer, both men sail off. Thor does carry the ring to Aldney in Iceland, but he does make a minor change to the message. Minor? Minor, yeah. Uh, that Bjorn told Thor to marry Aldney if anything should happen to him while he's out raiding. That's a minor change. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, not exactly. Thor's just a sneaky jerk. And I should point out that he's also circumventing Audney's right to control her own marriage here. Mm-hmm. In any of the other poet sagas, that might not be important. But here the author's gone out of his way to assert that she has the right to consent to her match. Yeah, and I would say it also makes Bjorn a more sympathetic figure than some of the other warrior poets. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a real sense here that he's a, he's a victim of Thor's manipulations. Absolutely. Rather than being a forgetful cad like Gunlaug or an ensorcelled snob like Cormac. Ensorcelled? What are yes, you talking it's, about? It's a good word. It's a perfectly cromulent word. No. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we are Bjorn's heard around water. the globe. No one knows what ensorcelled means. What are you talking ensorcelled? about? Ensorcelled? Yes, we do. Um, <laughs> Anyway, Bjorn's wanderings take him to Russia, where he spends a year in the company of King Valdemar. Mm. While there, not Voldemort, Valdemar. While there, he serves as the king's champion in a duel with a rival named Kaldemar. Bjorn kills Kaldemar. What? Valdemar, Kaldemar. It rhymes. Yeah, I know. Um, They're supposed to be cousins or something. But it's pretty pretty bad. Um, Valdemar is actually, I want to say Valdemar is historically legit. He ruled a small northern kingdom from 980 to 1015. Of course. But Kaldemar is probably just being made up to give Bjorn someone to fight. I just like the idea of the saga author just sitting there going like, uh, I gotta get out. I got Valdemar. I need, uh, (laughs) someone else like, um, Baldemar, Saldemar. No, Kaldemar. That's it. Kaldemar. So, so you're telling me in this story, you could just play the nemesis name game. So, John, you'd end up with a bitter foe named Khan. I guess so. Khan! <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure. And you'd yeah. have a vicious rival named Candy? <laughs> well, she's much less cool than yours, but, but well, uh, sorry. you should see her in a... Uh, Candy! Yeah. Candy! Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Bjorn kills Kaldemar. Kaldemar! But he's uh, but Bjorn's badly wounded in the fight, and he's laid up for a while while he recovers. And mm-hmm. it's during that recovery that he speaks his first poetic verse. Mm-hmm. And of course, appropriately, his thoughts turn to his faraway love. The elegant arm goddess, Isle Candle, <laughs> would gladly skillful verse I'm speaking here <laughs> sleep here as my lover if the linen clad lady learned that I was near her I win fame three warriors with me under canvas <laughs> um, is that the voice we're doing for him yeah I thought you know Brooklyn Bjorn he's uh <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh Brooklyn Bjorn sure that makes a lot of sense um <laughs> I thought you might like that one. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, sure. so from the from the Park Slope area of Iceland. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Anyway, it's a bit of a departure from the other poet sagas that Bjorn isn't really established as a professional poet. Mm. He composes verses regularly, but mostly like this one, commenting on events. It's Thord who's composing praises in drapas and verses for Earl Eric and King Olaf, if you accept that he does that stuff. <laughs> it's true. Um, and for his subject matter, we should be clear here that Bjorn's not violating any laws. Odni uh, is pledged to him, and he to her. Uh, yeah. Wishing she were there to have sex with him is perhaps not the most graceful way to pine for her, but he's within bounds, legally. Oh, and quite reasonable for a soldier, I think. Uh, well, fair enough, fair enough. More than one uh, veteran out there can remember composing a poem or two about that subject. Sure, fair enough. Mostly limericks, <laughs> I would imagine. Uh, there once was a man from Fallujah. <laughs> why, uh, wait, why are oh. you pining for a man from Fallujah? What? No, there once was a man from Fallujah. Yeah, uh, but if you're the as, uh, veteran... As many of our... Many of our soldiers have been stationed in Fallujah. But none of them are uh, pining for a man from Fallujah. Support the troops, Andy. Uh, oh. <laughs> I think you and, miss, uh, missed the point of his poem. Well, um, the point seems to be that because of his defense of Voldemort, uh, Bjorn is given the nickname Champion of the Hitterdal People. Now, why the Hitterdal People? Uh, well, because Bjorn's from the Hitterdal district in Iceland. It's got okay. nothing to do with Voldemort. Well, speaking of Iceland... Ooh, nice segue. Uh-huh. Thord hears the story of Bjorn's wounding, and so he bribes some men to say that Bjorn died of his wounds. He then presses Odni's family. I mean, this is a slick move, right? Uh-huh, it really is. Yeah. Narfi would be proud. Yeah. He presses Odni's family to permit his marriage suit to go forward, and when Bjorn fails to arrive and no no word is heard of him, everyone accepts that he must be dead, and Odni and Thord are promptly married. That's awful. Uh, yeah, he's not a nice guy. Oh, my God. Uh, Bjorn is slowly preparing to make his way back to Iceland, but when he hears of Odni's marriage to Thord, he avoids Iceland and returns to his travels. Mm-hmm. And in typical saga fashion, Bjorn offers no hint of what he's thinking, but he does speak a verse that gives away his feelings. The hero has pleasured Christ of the Handfire. Isle candles, bunching buttocks, beat hard on the mattress. While we strive to stiffen the supple oar on the gunwale. With reason, I bid the boat prop ski be moving. (laughs) It's so bad. That's just filthy. (laughs) And then it says Bjorn was held in as much esteem as before by the... uh, by the Earl. Mm-hmm. So is this a respectable <laughs> poem somehow? Or is it saying that it didn't bother the Earl? It's he understood. Not, it's really not. Yeah. Her bunching buttocks. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a little upset, and understandably so. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting that he seems to blame Audney for what's happened, though. Well, he, there's a lot going on there. But mm-hmm. he seems to be playing on the poetic conceit that lovers should share a kind of sixth sense about each other. Well, I, Audney, I, know, I, I, I understand well, right. that. Uh, Odney may have been lied to, but if she were a true love, she should have known that Bjorn was still alive. Hmm. Well, I'm not sure about that. Well. No. But for now, Bjorn's got bigger dragons to slay. <laughs> I don't know why I'm uh, giving the dramatic delivery there. <laughs> and, and that's not just a cutesy medieval fairy tale joke. He literally is right. going to kill a dragon. Yes. 
<laughs> he travels to England with Knut the Great, and while they're at sea, a dragon attacks the ships. Bjorn ends up saving the life of a fellow sailor, and then he kills the dragon by grabbing its tail and cutting it in half behind the wings. And everyone's very impressed, and Knut gives Bjorn a longship of his very own in reward. You know, now that I come to hear you say that out loud, it's, yeah. it's not a very impressive dragon, is it? No, not really. Well, hold on. I'm going to try to build Bjorn up, because he'll probably be my thingman. So it, it, it may be puny, but it was very, very tough and feisty. <laughs> <laughs> But I think you're trying to imply that Bjorn's just beating up on a baby. Is there a term for a baby dragon? I don't – I'm sure there is. Ask the Game of Thrones people. Maybe a hatchling? <laughs> OK. Maybe. <laughs> uh, but still, it's a dragon. That that puts Bjorn into an elite class of Germanic heroes. Absolutely. And I hope you remember this when we record our judgments. It, <laughs> <laughs> suddenly, it's not so great. I call him like I see him. Yeah, last time you went first. Uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm so happy about that. <laughs> anyway, this makes it all the more surprising that the author doesn't make more of the dragon slaying. I mean, Sigurd killed one dragon, and he never shut up about the thing. We we still hear about it. <laughs> um, it's true, but of course, there's another factor here. Yeah. Hold on. I'm just finishing pouring my beer. Ah, please feel free. Into your saga thing mug, I see. Uh, yes, and I see you're drinking from <laughs> yours as well. I am indeed. Well, it's it's quite the mug. I love it. Um, those of you who are interested in uh, getting some, <laughs> we're working an infomercial into our into our uh, saga. Uh, you know, the beer tastes so much better out of a saga thing. Oh, mug. I just delicious. Don't... Yeah. So if you're interested in getting one of your own, you can go to our uh, Spreadshirt store. I think it's sagathingpodcast.spreadshirt.com. Uh, but if that doesn't work, then just go to sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com and find our uh, our little link to our store. Right, you'd hate to listen to our saga brief on drinking without a saga thing mug of your very own. Yeah, that would be shameful if you, <laughs> you don't have one by then. Um, if you have any ideas from from past uh, notable witticisms, let us know, and we'll uh, make a shirt or a mug or something like that uh, mm-hmm. for, that you can get when you when you when you if you if you want one. If if you're done uh, shilling shamelessly, uh, <laughs> why don't we carry on? <laughs> All right. So Bjorn's not one to rest on his laurels, of course. <laughs> He forms a raiding partnership with a Norwegian outlaw named Alden Backflap. Backflap? Which, <laughs> I'm assuming he had his back cut open at some point. I don't know. And the, or well, maybe we'll discuss very, that in nicknames. Maybe he's just very, very flabby and he's got this huge flap of skin hanging over his trousers. I know what's going on with him, but we'll save it for nicknames. <laughs> anyway, the two, of, uh, the two of them spend the next few years herring the Swedish coast. Yeah, um, and with one thing and another, uh, Bjorn and Alden stay away from Iceland for a long time. Yeah. Uh, long enough, it turns out, that Thord and Audney have eight children together. Wow, that's quite a while. Yes, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, five sons and three daughters. Wow. Um, oh, and there's a curious fact about one of them, but we'll save that for later. You're telling uh, me there's eight kids? Yes. Wow. Eight is enough, Andy. Time flies when you're making Thordidsons, <laughs> I guess. I got, I got, I got to straighten my tie here. Oh Jesus! Um, uh, meanwhile, a change of rulers in Norway means that the king there is now Olaf Haraldson, known as Saint Olaf. Yeah, famous guy. Uh, eventually, Thord hears his relative Hroy the Wealthy has died in Norway, and he rushes off to see about his inheritance. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, well. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, if I had a relative called the wealthy, I'd want to be there for the reading of the will. <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think that'll now, happen, though. Right. Well, 
Thord travels with an entourage of men, including two brothers named Thord and Thorvald Eiderson, uh, a, another warrior named Kalf the Ill-Willed, hmm. and a traitor named Thorkel Eilfsson. Uh, Thorkel is close with the king, and so Olaf gives his blessing to Thord's claim of inheritance rights. So many names. I know. Yeah. Each of these guys, I guess, is going to be important later in the story, if you can you remember guess? all of this. You've this read why... this thing, haven't you? Yes, I have. But this is, again, Good. why you, when you're reading a saga, you need to have a little piece of paper and, and uh, pencil. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyway, but for now, they're accompanying Thord Kolbinson as he claims Hroy the Wealthy's lands. Bjorn happens to be raiding nearby, and he learns that Thord's in the area, which excites him a little bit, I bet. Uh-huh. He Ooh. and his men confront Thord's crew, but Thord is nowhere to be found. He's decided to hide <laughs> on a small island to escape confrontation with Bjorn, which probably smart. Yeah, this is pretty shameful behavior. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Calf the ill-willed is especially disgusted by it, and he states his preference for fighting it out. But Thord is pretty clearly afraid of a physical confrontation with Bjorn. But, I mean, hiding on a small island, how hard can it be to find it? <laughs> well, I mean, it might have worked if Bjorn had been alone, but... He's got over 200 men with him to help in the search, and it's not long before they find him. Thord, I mean, this is this is like Jack and the uh, the boys in Lord of the Flies all over again, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Hunting for Ralph with a, start, a stick sharpened at both ends. <laughs> so <laughs> Thord tries to play it off like he's glad to see Bjorn. <laughs> which yeah. Is, that's so funny. <laughs> uh, so, but given that he was hiding under a bush when they found him, it's yeah, a little hard to it's, believe. It's he's just such it's a Monty me. Python sketch that's right there. Like, oh, hi! Are you here oh, too? Oh. Wow. Just inspecting this bush. <laughs> so Bjorn's unwilling to kill Thord since Thord's under King Olaf's protection, but he takes all the goods from Thord's ship and strips their armor from them before letting them go. Uh, didn't he not only strip their armor, I thought he left them naked. No, no, no. Strip them down to their clothes. Just to their clothes. Uh, oh, I yeah. liked it better when I thought of them naked standing there, <laughs> like just abandoned on the island. Um, well, I mean, naked or dressed, I don't fully understand letting Thord go. I mean, Bjorn's already a tested and successful dueler, and we can strongly suspect from his hiding spot in the bushes that Thord's afraid to fight him. Yeah. Also, hasn't Bjorn read the other poet sagas? <laughs> Everything about this moment demands that he challenge Thord to a duel. And maybe he's read the sagas too well, and he knows that those duels never do anything to resolve matters. He's just going to nick his thumb and eh, okay, nonsense. True. True. They they end on a nonsensical technicality every time. Fair enough. Absolutely. So so since Thord was under Olaf's protection when Bjorn found him, both men now race back to Olaf's court to tell their side of the story. Understandably so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want the king to hear your side. Absolutely. Now, Olaf does hear them out, and he arbitrates a settlement between them that allows Bjorn to keep everything he took from Thord. Though he does have to give back what he took from Thord's companions. Right, and most importantly, Thord is left uncompensated for his humiliation, Well, but Bjorn must agree to a settlement that ends his claim on Odney. That kind of stinks. Well, it does. Uh, but So Bjorn remains in Norway, having no reason to return to Iceland, and Thord goes home to Odney and tells no one of his meeting with Bjorn. So are you telling me that everyone in Iceland still thinks Bjorn's dead? Yes, uh, and it stays that way for years, while Bjorn remains in Olaf's court. This is so ridiculous. Now, Uh first of all, John, Bjorn has to give up on his claim to Odney. Yes. Like he's just going to forget that this guy tricked him, went back, and stole his woman. Well, that's what Olaf says. Well, I don't think he's going to forget that easily. 
So spaketh the Olaf. <laughs> so eventually Bjorn decides to visit home to see his family, and he sails to Iceland. Mm-hmm. Now Audney hears about the landing and calls Thor a deceitful liar for telling everyone that Bjorn was dead, which he is. Yeah. Um, Thor and Audney remain married, though. Yeah, but not happily. And which is, well, you wouldn't think so. I, I think it's weird because you know in other sagas the woman would just like uh, trick him into wearing mm-hmm. a, a woman's blouse or something like that, and and then divorce him. But she doesn't. true. But of course, she has eight children with him. Yeah, that's right? true. And these other sagas that we've seen, there haven't been a lot of kids in these unhappy marriages. Yeah, that poor uh, woman. And in this case, right, she's got a brood to take care of. And yeah, she, needs, it, she needs a man to take care of. The saga author doesn't really spend much time on her or with her, but... No, not at all. Looking at it from that perspective, I feel really, really bad for this woman. Mm-hmm. You know, I think so. I mean, in some ways, she's the least fleshed out of the yeah. um, the warrior poet women. Yeah, and talk but about a rock and a hard place. You do. There's a lot of kind of the implications of her life are really interesting. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Bjorn visits his family. Uh, Schooly, his cousin, has died while he was away, but Bjorn's old father is still alive and is overjoyed to hear to see the son that he's heard was dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything is set up for a period of peaceful inactivity. Yeah, but of course, Thord can't leave things alone. No, it's just not his personality. No. Uh, Thor decides to invite Bjorn to stay with him. His his stated reason is to test Bjorn's willingness to abide by the settlement between them, but the underlying motive seems to be forcing Bjorn to witness Thor's domestic bliss with Odney. Yeah, but he doesn't really have any domestic bliss with her. I mean, right. He's still <laughs> angry about being lied to. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, she accuses Thor of lying about his reasons for asking Bjorn to stay with him. Right. Um, and, you know, she may be correct. Uh, it's true, there are a lot of mixed messages in this section. Um, Thord also rides to Bjorn's family homestead to deliver the inv- invitation while wearing a black cloak, mm-hmm. which, of course, is usually a sign of aggression. Um, in general, this just seems like a bad plan for Thord. Well, that's only because it is a bad plan. <laughs> <laughs> Bjorn agrees to the arrangements, but he and Thord exchange angry verses several times over mm. the course of the winter about various minor disagreements. And in one nasty exchange, Thord and Bjorn taunt one another over their dealings in Norway. Now, John, why don't you take Thord's part, since I've been oh, reading so, um, Bjorn's part? Uh, yeah, okay. From Bjorn, Bjorn will remember. <laughs> the bracelet grund, proud lady, from the hands of Hitterdal's hero has slipped now. Fate deemed me for a wife the fir tree with her headband. That rogue won't win the slender woman. The gain is mine. <laughs> That's it. That's the one, you creep. Oh my goodness. You should be embarrassed. I can't believe you're married. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, so for uh, uh, so now for a poet with an international reputation, I don't think that's very impressive work from Thord, <laughs> but <laughs> but it definitely makes the point. Uh, and of course, Bjorn can't resist responding. Right. Our meeting, you'll remember, my crew with your people there by Threlary once. Thord, you'll not forget it. Money and much booty. Meekly you abandoned, bearing, for all your boasting, the base apart, as always. Ouch. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, verses like these form a kind of ongoing fluting between the two men throughout the winter. And Thord is increasingly angry about Bjorn's presence in his house. But he invited him. I really can't figure out why he invited him. All he had to do was ask him not to stay with him. And that had been fine. Right. Right. Or just not ask him in the first place. Yeah. Not disinvite him. Just don't invite him. Uh, yeah, not inviting him in is like the first rule of vampires and angry Vikings whose fiancés you've stolen. <laughs> That's right. And, and I mean, the situation keeps getting more petty. Thord accuses Bjorn of overfeeding his dog at Thord's expense <laughs> and of pampering his horses with Thord's hay, while Bjorn complains of bad food and poor hospitality. Oh, my God. Yeah, Odney's not really happy with either one of them. She no. She snaps at Bjorn for composing verses about Thord. But she ignores or belittles her husband for his small-mindedness and deceitfulness. Uh, but in spite of the growing tension, Bjorn and his fat dog stay the entire winter. <laughs> That's right. Now, I gotta be honest. At this point in the saga, I'm thinking fairly low score. It just, the whole thing is just not quite working <laughs> right. for me. Right. And watch Your these fat two dog men, must go. Yeah, these two <laughs> men are just picking back and forth at each other for no reason. But at, if you, if you look at the whole thing, Right, right. This is kind of the uh, <laughs> this is kind of the piece that holds it all together. It's right. where the where everything starts moving forward. Are really, the deepest thing going on. Yeah, no, I end up liking this saga <laughs> quite a bit. Anyway, somehow the the winter ends without any blood being shed, and Bjorn and Odney are actually on good terms by the time he decides to leave. Good. That's yeah. one way of putting it. <laughs> well, how are you going to put it? Well, she offers to give one of her daughters in marriage to Bjorn as a substitute for her. <laughs> oh, yeah, that. Yeah, that's kind of a weird moment. I, I'm a little bit creeped out by that, but uh, intrigued. Well, intrigued. <laughs> you know? I think most people are creeped out by it. She's younger. <laughs> it, it doesn't help that the girls are quite young and that Bjorn bounces them on his knee while reciting a verse about them taking Odney's well, place. That's really young. <laughs> we're, we're really, I mean, we're really veering into creepy territory here. But, I mean, nothing ever comes of it, and Bjorn doesn't ever seem to take the offer seriously. No. No, Bjorn takes his leave quietly, though there's probably a last exchange of insults between him and Thord before he goes. Why probably? Well, there's another piece of text missing here, and this time there's uh-huh. no convenient analog to draw a replacement from. There's like right, a fairly right. large gap where we miss the introduction of many people. Right, and we don't actually know how long the gap is. Uh, I think uh, he gets married during this gap, too. Yes, absolutely. We're missing some important narrative pieces. I mean, when the text picks up, two major developments have occurred. One, as you say, he's gotten married. Bjorn has gotten married to a woman named Thordis. Uh, and two, he's built a new home at Velur. Yeah, well, there's this other thing, too. We've entered into a period of relative peace between our rivals. Right, although I think relative peace is the key mm-hmm. phrase there. They're still passive-aggressively pouncing on any news about each other. And composing mocking verses to suit the occasion. Yeah, and in any case, the calm doesn't last long, and nor should it. Bjorn decides right. to take Thor. I mean, what a boring saga it would be. <laughs> They're just like, eh, well, <laughs> if everyone just calmed down. Yeah, we'll just go about our farming. Right. <laughs> Watching Bjorn collect hay for forty pages. <laughs> and and that year, the bean crop was good. <laughs> <laughs> Are they growing beans now? <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Bjorn decides to take Thord to court over a verse, and Thord is forced to pay a hundred silver in compensation. And more importantly, the lawmakers decree that if either Bjorn or Thord speaks an insulting verse in the other's presence in the future, the speaker will automatically be found guilty and vulnerable to outlawry. Mm. That's an odd judgment. But even that's not going to deter Bjorn. He's just going to get more creative. Branching out into the visual arts, as it were. Yes. (laughs) Uh, This is... 
it's not terribly clear what it is. Um, a piece of artwork appears yeah. on Thor's property. Yeah, and this is where uh, this is where I start getting into the saga. I'm like, this is a damn fine saga. <laughs> now, the description that we get doesn't make it clear whether this piece of artwork is a carving or a sculpture or a painting or what. But what it depicts isn't at all unclear. Yeah, absolutely. The image is of two men in a very explicit sexual pose <laughs> with the yes. clear indication that one of the men represents Thor. Yeah. Now, we've seen this sort of insult before, and I think we'll see it again in our readings. Yeah, um, probably never more better, sort of better played out than this. Mm -hmm. uh, Sometimes the slander takes the form of accusations of homosexuality, yeah. other times bestiality, bestiality. other times cross-dressing, or transgenderism, or even hermaphroditism. Uh, it's all sort of lumped together in ways that are obviously problematic and even offensive to modern standards. But the common denominator in the sagas seems to be an assault on the ability or the desire of the subject to function sexually as a heterosexual man. Right. And if it's considered credible, a verbal attack like that threatens to destabilize an entire family. It's true. Remember, this is a culture that takes genealogy very, very seriously. And so if a patriarch is perceived as unqualified to have fathered his children, then mm -hmm. clan relationships and family lineages are disrupted as a result. Now, of course, sometimes it's just childish schoolyard taunts. Right, right. But either way, uh, intimations of homosexuality are a deadly insult in saga culture. Mm -hmm. But what makes this one particularly bad is that the artwork is public mm -hmm. and leads to general gossip in the district. As the narrative tells us, people said that the position of neither standing figure was good, <laughs> and yet that of the one in the front was worse. <laughs> and, of course, that in the front is meant to represent Thor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in case this was still too subtle, Bjorn then adds a verse. <laughs> and this is the moment when the story seems to become too indecent, even for the saga's author. Uh -huh. There are two <laughs> lines missing from the verse, quite possibly because they're just too slanderous to reproduce, mm -hmm. even a couple of centuries later. And, and to be fair, it also might not be the saga author, but the whoever's copying Right, a later issue. redactor of the saga, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, nonetheless, here's the verse. Here stand the helmsmen of harbor landing places. Blankety blank blank. Suited is the stalwart spear pointer for this work. The weapon wielder's anger weighs on Thord foremost. Ugh, that's pretty explicit. Is it really? <laughs> it kind of is. Yeah, it is. You got a lot of spear points going on there. Uh, the, the weapon wielder's anger weighs on Thord foremost. <laughs> <sighs> it, it really makes you wonder how much worse the missing lines could have been. Yeah. Uh, Sayers has an interesting take on this one. Uh, he notes that the censure of the community, as he puts it, is made clear at this stage in the narrative... And that the saga author even turns on Bjorn here for violating the acceptable standards of discourse. Now, it's hard to be certain without knowing the missing content, though. I mean, there's, uh, there is at least certainly a sense that Bjorn's gone too far. I think that's yeah. clear. But obviously, Thord brings Bjorn to court for this. And Bjorn is forced to pay a fine, although I think it's probably worth it to Bjorn. <laughs> right, sure. <laughs> but even though there's peace for a while, it's clear that these two just can't tolerate one another. 
Yeah, and regardless of public censure, Bjorn's not entirely done with publicly questioning Thord's manliness. Yeah. Uh, in fact, he's going to claim to be the father of one of Thord and Odney's sons. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Coley, I think yep. his name is. Yeah, Bjorn sees Thord's son Coley at an autumn meeting and makes a few references to being the boy's father. Uh-huh. And he never makes the claim officially, but it does become a well-known secret that Bjorn claims Coley as his own. Yeah, and everyone seems to know about it except for Coley. Uh, yeah. But we'll get to him again later. It's funny to me, though, that like th- he's bringing this up when there's been no instance or no reference to yeah. th- the two of them getting together, Bjorn and uh, and Odney. They've never really right. been intimate as far as we know. Whereas like the other saga authors make make it fairly explicit when the uh, the two lovers get together. It's a careful, it's a really circumspect kind of moment in the text where mm. you kind of see the saga author distancing himself from this. There's no, we're never given a context where we could prove that that happened. Yeah. And we're also never told explicitly that Bjorn is correct. Right. Right. Although it's just left up in the air that he claims Kali as his own. Yeah. There's no proof of that. He and Odney, as far as we know, never spent time alone together, et cetera, et cetera. And yet this claim is allowed to sort of hang in the air and later on is going to be narratively very important. Right. Well, I wonder if maybe during that winter that he stayed at Thord's house, maybe he got the deed done, if you will. Well, I mean, there's, that's certainly what it would have to happen. But you'd have to say that it's amazing that Thord is willing to stand for this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely. I mean, I, he's got a reputation as a bully and a loudmouth, but he's remarkably risk avoidant when it comes to Bjorn. Yeah, no, it's it really. Uh, <laughs> these... Two, I would say these two, actually, both of them, are really going out of their way to avoid a direct confrontation. I mean, Halfred or Cormac or even Bercy yeah. would have issued half a dozen duel challenges by now. Definitely. I, I can kind of understand Thor's reluctance. I mean, it's pretty clear that he thinks Bjorn would kill him in a fight. Oh, he would, yeah. But what is Bjorn waiting for? Law. I don't know. <laughs> Things are about to get evened up a little bit, though. Mm. Two of Thord's cousins, brothers, their names are uh, Otar and Avent. They come to visit, and they're angry about the way Thord's been treated. So when word comes that Bjorn is out and about, the three of them lead a company of 12 men to ambush Bjorn. Right. Uh, but it turns out that Otar and Avent think of themselves as champions, and they don't like taking unfair advantage of numbers. Right. So when they realize that Bjorn is traveling with only one companion, a, a young man named Thorfinn, they choose to dismiss Thord and his men and attack Bjorn on their own. Well, sort of. They do offer Thord the option of attacking Bjorn with two men, but Thord naturally declines. He's yeah, it's true. So pathetic. Uh, he's, he's really terrified of facing Bjorn, isn't he? Yeah. Are you still uh, thinking of him as a, a potential Thingman candidate? <laughs> You'll have to wait and see, <laughs> won't you? Uh, it is, it's a strange factor in this story, but Thord's fear of Bjorn creates some really interesting situations. Um but up to this point, we haven't really seen anything to show us why Thord's so afraid of him. I mean, yes, he kills a dragon, but it's a small one. <laughs> well, Thord's cousins have also miscalculated Bjorn's support. Bjorn's uncle, Arnor Crossstick, rides out mm-hmm. from his farm with a company of men and catches up with Bjorn just before the cousins do, so that they find themselves facing a dozen men. Right. Uh, now, Bjorn and his uncle, who have no qualms about outnumbering their opponents... Uh, managed to defeat and kill the cousins, but they're actually both badly wounded in the process. Yeah, these are actually ugly wounds. Mm-hmm. Arnor's ear and cheekbone are cut off in the fight. I mean, his cheekbone. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, Bjorn receives a stab wound to the chest and leg. Um, mm-hmm. Both survive miraculously, though yeah. I guess obviously with some permanent disability, especially for Arnor. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Then some time passes with the pair. Uh, some time passes while the pair recover from their injuries, and presumably lots of soup. <laughs> uh, um, and, and now during that time, we also get a cameo from one of the great saga figures, mm-hmm. uh, Bjorn. As we learn a little later, has a soft spot for outlaws. And he likes to give them asylum on his land. Mm-hmm. Um, during this time when he's recovering, he has no less a guest than Gretter as Munderson oh. living in a cave south of his farm. Now, and they get fairly chummy, the two of them. Yeah, for those who aren't familiar with the story, Gretter is a famous saga figure who managed to survive 19 years in Iceland after being outlawed. Right, now that's another one we've still got coming up, but we've got a lot of saga to cover here still. Oh, I'd really love to do Gretter soon. I know, I know. Okay, uh, but all right, all right. Bjorn is just getting warmed up on the body count stats. His his next victim is Thorstein Kalfsen, a mm-hmm. son of Bjorf's friend, Kalf the Ill-Willed, who uh, tries to kill him. Wait a minute. So why is Bjorn's friend's son trying to kill him all of a sudden? Why else? Thor uses his gift of the gab to convince Thorstein that Bjorn's secretly plotting against him. Oh, okay. Thorstein rushes off to kill Bjorn, but... His shaky, sweaty palm nervousness sort of gives him away. <laughs> uh, and, well, he's a you know he's a young guy. He's new he should to the have game. practiced. Uh, and even though Bjorn's unarmed, he's able to wrestle and strangle Thorstein to death. Uh, <laughs> Bjorn... I, sh- I shouldn't laugh at someone being strangled to death. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's it strikes you funny. Um, it's all the context, you know, that makes right. it funny. So Bjorn declares that Thorstein's immunity was forfeit since he attacked first. But he still tries to patch things up with Kalf by offering compensation. They can't come to terms, though, and Kalf goes back to being an enemy to Bjorn. Right. Thorstein's kind of a tragic figure. I mean, he's Mm. easily manipulated, and he's clearly scared out of his wits to be attacking Bjorn. Well, As he should be, yeah. Uh, He's also the third man now that Bjorn had to kill because of Thord. Mm -hmm. And as, as a result, Bjorn's starting to feel the effects of social isolation. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think there's a there's a real sort of theme developing here. It mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to be stopping Bjorn from antagonizing Thord uh, no. at all, though. Um, he next composes what's called the Grey Belly Verses, which yeah. uh, claim that Thord's mother became pregnant by eating a lumpfish. A lumpfish. Yeah, yeah, a bad lumpfish. <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to let you know that I, I read this. Uh, I was so impressed by these verses that I read them to my children. <laughs> They were impressed. Well, regale us. A fish came to land with the flood on the sand. A lump sucker seeming, slimy flesh gleaming. She-wolf of the gown gulped gray belly down, poisoned. You'll see bad things in the sea. Her belly increased below her breast, so the oak of the girdle walked with a waddle, sore in the womb, swelled like a balloon. A boy was born, she had to warn, the man wealth winning, the birth was beginning. Fondly eyeing the dog by the lying, his eyes she thought brave as a she-goat. <laughs> this is like the worst poetry slam I've ever heard. Yo, mama insults were much more complicated than the Saga Age. Uh, I mean, that, for that, 
That takes me back to my days uh, growing up in uh, in in the suburbs of Miami. Oh, there you go, there you go. Where where verses about lumpfish were far more common. No, but your mama uh, insults were very very common. Right. Now, for obvious reasons, the gossipy neighbors can't stop repeating this verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Thor's friend Thorkel Dalkson hears it from his farmhand. Dalkson. <laughs> Dalkson. Uh, the the farmhand then asks Thorkel to recite a poem that Thor recently composed about Bjorn called The Cow Verses. I wish that we could include this one as well. Yeah. yeah. But unfortunately, really the author did. chose not to actually provide this one. Now, why not? I want to know what's know. so shocking about cows. I don't know. It's not clear whether this is because he thinks the verse is too scandalous to copy, possibly, or whether he just doesn't have the poem handy. Right. Yeah. And there's also the possibility that he's just making the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think we sometimes forget that. And when right. some. Yeah, go ahead. No. All right. When something like this turns up and there's no external corroboration for it, we, we have to be at least a little skeptical about the historical reality of the situation. Well,. I mean, the narrative point, which, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That's yeah. an important correction. I'm usually right. But, well, uh, the narrative point is that the verse exists sort of in the saga world. Yeah. And that Thorkel is eventually convinced to recite it. But Bjorn somehow has been lurking around, eavesdropping, and hears mm-hmm. this, and he leaps out and kills Thorkel for reciting the verse. Yeah. Now, Thorkel's father, Dalk, is obviously upset. Well, why wouldn't he be? Right, no, fair enough. But that means that another of Bjorn's neighbors now has it in for him. Uh, he does actually pay compensation to Dalk, which is a first for him. Mm-hmm. But he escapes being outlawed because of that ruling a while back that made it illegal to recite slanderous verses. It's kind of a technicality. It is a technicality, but, I mean, Thorkel knew the rule. He knew that the, the, it was illegal to recite the verses, and he was kind of goaded right. into doing it. He resists speaking the verse, right, because initially uh, he doesn't want to do it. Yeah. But... The farmhand, who I kind of suspect knows that Bjorn is sort of hiding in the cow I wonder. paddock, uh, sort of draws it out of him. Yeah. I, this is the this is the one moment where I don't like Bjorn that much, that he leaps out like, I yeah. gotcha, now I get to kill right. you. Right. And, has, and he's even sort of, I mean, uh, Thorkel dresses him down before he's killed. Yeah. And says, you know, it's not really very honorable of you to be hanging around waiting <laughs> right. for people to do this. Well, he's got a reputation to protect, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I don't like that moment for him as much. Yep. Um, anyway, so what Thor needs at this point is a way to get Bjorn back into court on favorable terms. And mm-hmm. he finds it when he hears about Bjorn's habit of sheltering outlaws. He yep. manages to get a judgment against Bjorn and forces him to pay a fine, which is actually a very rare win for Thord. Sure. I mean, yes. But before Thord can even pat himself on the back... Bjorn finds out that Thord is also sheltering a pair of outlaws, mm-hmm. which, I mean, is just really stupid of Thord. Does he not know that Bjorn's going to be sniffing around? The man hangs around in cow patties waiting to hear verses about himself. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes outlaws just happen to drop by. and What are you going to do? Just re- turn well, them away? If, if you're Bjorn, you wait until the outlaws are out of Thord's house, and then you kill them both. Is killing them really necessary? I mean... I know that Thord <laughs> was foolish to shelter them, but still, I mean, well, I guess they're outlaws, so. Right. <laughs> and to add insult to injury, Bjorn then returns the horses they were riding to Thord's farm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, Thord manages to get a dig in when he hears that Bjorn has killed the two outlaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have earned the name champion. No. 
Uh, sarcasm isn't always the saga's strongest play, but I like that line. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it just drips with vitriol. Yeah, I guess it's a good line. But I, in the court of public opinion, Bjorn's gotten the better of Thord yet again. That's true, although I'm not sure that that necessarily means that everyone's rooting for Bjorn anymore. Mm-hmm. But although the two men continue to compose verses about one another, things actually quiet down for a few years. Uh, which, of course, does not mean that Thord is content with the situation. Yeah, at this point, he's just casting around for anything that might work. Yeah. He even hires two brothers who just happen to be visiting the area, and he asks them to assassinate Bjorn. But there's <laughs> such total incompetence that Bjorn doesn't even kill them. He just ties their hands, takes their money, and sends them back to Thord. It, it really, I mean, this is the point in the saga when I really start to feel like Thord's been studying at the Narfi school for incompetent plotters. <laughs> Well, I, I would point out that uh, uh, there's uh, a guy named Snorri Gothi that employs similar tactics of just hiring people to go out and and try to do his dirty deeds for him. Oh, I don't know who would take that's... such a such a dastardly fellow as Thingman. You know what? I'm just going to suggest that anyone who wants to know the truth of the situation uh, listen to the Airbigus Saga episode again and listen to Andy falling all over himself praising <laughs> Snorri. Before I managed to steal him out from under him. That was all trickery. I wanted you to take the weaker fellow. Anyway. Woo! His next plan, <laughs> Thord's next plan, involves uh-huh. lying in wait for Bjorn with six men. But Bjorn has a prophetic dream warning him of the attack. And he manages to get the drop on them. He kills one of the men and wounds two others, including a slight wound to Thord. It's another terrible idea, yeah. and it's becoming obvious to everyone now that Thor's just scared to death of facing Bjorn in a fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, he takes the wound. He gets sort of this light wound from Bjorn, and he falls down yeah. and refuses to continue the fight, just lays there on the ground playing dead. It's it's getting pretty shameful. Yeah, and it actually gets worse. Thor now recruits nine men to wait on the path for Bjorn, but by now Bjorn's expecting it. Yeah, now this is one of those moments when the laconic voice of the saga writer comes through. Mm-hmm. On this third consecutive assassination attempt, we're told, Bjorn saw men ahead by the river. It seemed obvious now that it must be Thord. <laughs> it is a little pathetic. I mean, <laughs> but I guess there are tragic consequences this time. Bjorn sure. escapes by swimming across a river while Thord's men throw spears at him. Bjorn's wounded in the thigh, but when he throws the spears back, one lucky throw kills two men. One of the dead men's Colbin, who is actually Thord's son. Yeah, um, and once again, Bjorn is technically within his legal rights since he was acting in self-defense. But the string of killings he's committed are starting to turn public opinion against him. Mm-hmm. And he knows Thord will bring a case against him for the death of his son. That's reading a bit into the text, isn't it? I mean, it's not clear that Bjorn's losing the PR battle yet. No, no, I think that's actually the subtext here. Um, I admit this saga is wildly inconsistent when it comes to the law, but Bjorn's routine of claiming that his victims forfeited their immunity by attacking him is wearing thin. I don't think so. Among other things, well, no, it's it's his bad luck that he's killed the sons of many of the prominent men of the area, which is enough to turn the local assemblies against him. Hmm. And he's going to have to deal with making payments for some of these recent killings, even though his defense is the same as usual. Yeah, but his defense is also correct. I mean, these guys are trying to kill him every time. He's being ambushed over and over. No, you're absolutely right. But as we know, the law has a nose of wax, and rich men have iron hands with which to twist it. What are you talking about? I'm I'm paraphrasing the Burgundian Henry III here. Oh, of course. Yes, you are. I, I, I don't really know... 
how I'm supposed to reply to that, the Burgundian Henry the Third. Well, well, I do. Why don't you tell us about Thorstein Kugason? <laughs> okay. Well, before we get into Thorstein Kugason, let me let me uh-huh. just share this observation with you. It struck me right around this moment in the saga that the saga author seems to be imitating the outlaw sagas. There's there's a lot huh. of similarities here with with uh, Grettir and and maybe Gisli saga in terms right. of the way Bjorn's being treated, even though he's not technically an outlaw. You know, all of the episodes that we're encountering are mm-hmm. that of trying to trap an individual, and he's kind of cleverly getting out of them in some way or another. Well, I think it's I I think that's it's an interesting point because I think Thank um, you. the author goes out of his way to bring outlaws sort of on stage. Right? Yeah, that we have this sort of exchange of outlaw killings uh, between Bjorn or or Bjorn killing Thord's outlaw friends while Thord um, brings Bjorn to court for holding outlaws. And there's no sort of narrative. The narrative isn't moved forward by that in any way. Um, but the author wants us to kind of be thinking outlaws. Yeah. And then we have Gretir come on for a cameo. Uh, and we are being sort of drawn in that direction, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And you, yeah. as you see uh, the increasing isolation of Bjorn, you kind of get that feeling that he's only got sort of two paths before him. And one right. is outlawry and the other is death. Yeah. Or at least, you know having to kill Thord, which which is probably going to lead to the outlawry path again. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it, which makes it very much not like a warrior-poet saga, very much more like an right. outlaw saga. It, it, it makes uh, Bjorn a much more interesting character to me, to be quite honest. Well, and I think um, it's very easy, and you know, I think we've even fallen into this trap a couple of times, of you know, sort of talking about these warrior-poet sagas as if they're all working off the same blueprint. Right. Uh, and it's just not true. Uh, they Each of them has characteristics in common and may ultimately be playing off of a tradition, but each of them is also working off of other traditions. Absolutely, and those are not the yeah. same traditions, right? Yeah, and this yeah, one each, definitely has a foot in the outlaw saga camp. Definitely. Uh, but, you know, Cormac is part of a tradition of these sort of, you know, swashbucklers abroad kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, much more in that kind of ale camp. Yeah. Uh, Ale Scholar Grimson, uh, than the other ones seem to be. So yes, uh, well, and as we talked about, Halfred is really more of a conversion narrative than it is a, a romance. Sure. Yeah, right. So each of them seems to have their own flavor. Yeah. So I mean, uh, if you've been hesitating to buy this volume of uh, Warrior Poet Sagas, uh, you might want to give it a try, just because mm-hmm. there's such a great variety and uh, so many fascinating things that are going on in each of these different sagas. All right. Now that you've finished plugging the Penguin book, oh sorry, uh, can we can we get back to Thorstein Kugason? All right, then. So Thorstein Kugason is a wealthy man from a good family, and he's vaguely related by marriage to the situation. Yeah, um, and it is vague. Uh, Thorstein's wife, Thorfinna, and Bjorn's wife, Thordis, there are second go. cousins. See, I knew uh, it. That's, I like to break out my genealogies whenever I can. This is uh, the guy I was talking about. I said, yep. I said Kingsman. Uh, John and I were talking about who, who's going to be Thingman, because I'm clearly taking someone who's the title <laughs> character. And and I, John asked me if I knew who he would be taking, and I said I think he's a kinsman of uh, of Bjorn, but it's, it turns out he's a distant kinsman. So pay attention, everyone, because this is John Stingman. Bank on it. You can predict that all you want, but I'm keeping my cards firmly pressed to my no, chest. No, you're not. You were just dancing. I saw you. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so 
the these uh, cousins, uh, the two wives, belong to the central family from Vatnsdala Saga, mm-hmm. which is another saga that we're looking forward to. But it's a tenuous link, and there's no particular affection between the two men. No, which means that Thorstein is potentially a valuable ally for Bjorn's enemies. I mean, mm-hmm. Thord and his friend Dalk, Dalk, who have both had sons killed by Bjorn, want to bring that lawsuit that you were hinting about earlier. But mm-hmm. they also want someone else to bring it forward. Now, Thorstein seems to fill the bill. But Thorstein's reluctant to involve himself in the current lawsuit, though he offers to support them in future cases against Bjorn. Yeah. And Thord and Dalk are pleased Dalk. by that offer, and Thorstein and Thorfinna are on their way to spend the winter at Dalk's farmstead uh-huh. with a dozen men. And then suddenly a snowstorm forces them off the road. Right, and unusually in the sagas, this snowstorm is not caused by a witch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is merely a weather pattern. Hmm. Uh, Strange. Yes. Um, so the only farm nearby is Bjorn's, and uh, Thorfinna shames Thorstein into seeking lodging there through her connection to Bjorn's wife. Thorstein, who I think comes across as a fairly level-headed guy, sees yeah. the wisdom in her advice, right? even though he's allying himself with Bjorn's enemies. Uh, but Bjorn and his men give them a hard time at first. Right? He knows where Thorstein is heading. Yeah. Uh, and so Bjorn's hospitality is scanty at best. The food is basic, no fires are lit, and the sleeping area is so cold that the men's wet breeches freeze overnight. Mm, I've been there. Now, <laughs> now, Bjorn also looks out the door and says that it's good weather for brave men to travel in, which is an obvious insult to his guests. Yeah, well, Bjorn can be a jerk sometimes. Nah. Uh, now, he knows Thorstein's... what's going on. He's just very clever. Right, absolutely. Uh, Thorstein's angry about the way he's being treated, but he's also a polite house guest, and so he doesn't say anything about it. But when he agrees to stay with Bjorn instead of Dalk for the winter celebrations, Bjorn's whole attitude changes. Roaring fires are lit, the men's clothes are dried, and food and drink are abundant. At the end of the celebration, Bjorn tries to give Thorstein an all-white stud horse with a trio of mares as a parting gift. So at this point, Bjorn's just flat out trying to buy Thorstein's friendship. Well, he definitely needs more friends. I yeah, mean, he does. You know, whether he whether he gets them by paying for them or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Thorstein is too high minded to take the horses as a bribe. Instead, he offers to serve as mediator for Bjorn with his enemies, and promises to win better settlement terms for Bjorn than he could get on his own. Yeah, but he does take the horses. Well, I mean, sure, they're good horses. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Bjorn's really eager to win Thorstein's friendship. Yeah, well, he definitely gets his horse's worth. (laughs) 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 Now, Thorstein spends the winter arranging everything, and he manages to settle the case to both sides' satisfaction, which is Mm -hmm. rare. Um, The formal settlement meeting is held in the spring, and at first everything is going smoothly. At first. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, of course, Thord cannot leave well enough alone. Uh, he points out that the settlement doesn't account for the verses the two men have spoken against one another, and he demands that each one of them, right there at court, recite everything he had composed about the other. Yeah, so essentially he wants to start another fight, or... Yeah. Yeah, now, now that I come to think of it, this is actually a smart move for Thord. As we said earlier, really? he's the yeah, more yeah. well-known poet of the two, and this may be the only area of conflict with Bjorn that he's likely to have the upper hand. Oh, interesting point. Yeah, no, yeah. I think you're probably right. Um but, of course, what happens is that Bjorn is discovered to have composed one verse more than Thord. Yeah. 
And so Thor demands the chance to even things up. Of course he does. What does he say? Boldly, Bjorn each morning brews some scheme for evil. The dolt, jaws dropping, always dazed by every slander. And the white-talking windbag, wide of arse and loathsome, stripped of sense and reason, stays a useless loser. So he's, he's not even that good at poetry, is he? <laughs> no, he's really not. No. We're supposed to think that Thor's just out of his mind with hatred at this point, right? Well, he's just angry, yeah. I mean, that's, I yeah, that's, and that's the idea. that's barely even a verse. It's just cursing at Bjorn with style, I guess. Yeah, I tend to read it that way. I mean, Thor's barely hanging on to his dignity, and he's he's sabotaging the negotiation that he asked Thorstein to manage. And mm-hmm. he has to know that Bjorn is not going to let a verse like that go unanswered. No, definitely not. And he doesn't. This is what Bjorn says. Don't claim, Thor, to down me. Debts I'll not leave unsettled. You've a dearth of daring and deeds, feeble trickster. I've made no blacker meters. I mix beer for Odin. Then for you, sword inviter, outlawed by your folly. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that that pretty much kills the settlement right there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, at least Bjorn's verse is, is slightly better composed. I like it. He's good. Now, in, in the end, uh, the most important thing to come out of this is that Thorstein is furious with Thord for undermining his work on the case. And he avows friendship with Bjorn before leaving the district. Yeah, well, what they discuss is a kind of blood brotherhood. Bjorn wants them to each vow to avenge the other if anything happens to one of them. And Thorstein gets his moment of glory when he says that he would do that for any man he calls a friend. Yeah, no, it's a nice moment. Mm-hmm. And Thorstein, I think, really comes on as an admirable figure late in the saga. Yes, he does. Uh, he even turns out to be the, spo- the spokesman in this saga for the new Christianity. Uh, arguing that it's better for revenge to take the form of compensation or outlawry instead of violent reprisal. Oh, I love it. I love it. I mean, there that's you go. The, that's like uh, the the central theme of my uh, my dissertation. There you go. Anyway, I thought you'd like him. Uh, well, I like him not as much as I like uh, Bjorn, <laughs> but uh, I like him. He's a good guy. Anyway, so these two are buddies now, and deservedly yep. so. But all this talk of avenging a death is also the saga's way of leading us to the climax of our central feud. I mean, they wouldn't introduce it if they weren't pushing towards mm-hmm. something. Yeah, Thord still wants some of that old-style revenge against Bjorn, suggesting that he's a little uh, bit of an old-fashioned yes. fella. Yeah, it's finally. I mean, it, it was beginning like he'd never get his act together. <laughs> so the next year, Thord learns that Bjorn is at home with only a few servants. He gathers together a large band of men and sets out to either burn Bjorn in his home or just kill him outright if he can catch yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's not messing around this time. He's no. got 24 men with him, uh, including Kalf the Ill-Willed, Dalk of Husafell, uh, <laughs> Thord and Thorvald Aidson, and Thord's son, Kali. Yeah, all of these men have personal vendettas against Bjorn for various killings, and I really don't want to meet Kalf the Ill-Willed in a dark alley. Right, exactly. You You don't get a name like that for no reason. Um, Mm -hmm. But, of course, there's also the problem of Kali Thordeson, Mm -hmm. who still doesn't know that Thord might or might not be his father. No, just hang on to that thought, though. Uh, Mm -hmm. For once Thord shows something like good sense, he splits his group into four parts to cover all the approaches to Bjorn's farmstead. That's really amazing for Thord. He he finally, his brain Um, connects with an idea. (laughs) But, of course, a cynic might point out that that means there's only a one in four chance 
that Thor will actually have to face Bjorn himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Bjorn Bjorn ends up heading out early on the day of the attack to attend a sheep gathering. His only companion is a 15-year-old boy who's probably not a good fighter. Right. Bjorn happens to choose the path guarded by the Edisons and Koli Thorison. But Kalf the ill-willed sees him on the road and rushes with his men to get to him before the others can engage. Dalk, Dalk and Bjorn's Dalk. groups are further away, but they're riding very hard towards uh, Bjorn. Yeah, and, and it must be said, the lead-up to this fight is really one of the saga's great narrative moments. Yeah. Uh, Bjorn, remember, is nearsighted, and mm-hmm. his teenage companion spots the various ambush parties and calls out the relative positions of the groups and their leaders, and the tension rises as one group after another comes into view. Yeah, it's good, uh, good Meanwhile, stuff. yeah, yeah, and meanwhile, the nearsighted Bjorn is trying to work out tactics while listening to the boys' descriptions of the different individuals. Uh, once he can see his own enemies, Bjorn sends the boy away, ostensibly to catch their horses. Yeah, it's pretty clear to Bjorn there's no way out of this one, but he's mm-hmm. primed to make his last stand a good one. He kills Thorvald Aidson by, first by flinging Thorvald's own spear back at him, and after a short fight, he kills Thord Aidson as well. Mm. But Thord manages to break Bjorn's shield arm, leaving him at a tremendous disadvantage. <laughs> you mean a bigger disadvantage than being outnumbered 22 to 1? Yeah, and, and here again... It, it, we have echoes of the the outlaw saga. So I mean, if yep. you want to put absolutely, this as a, yeah, the, the, as a very the glorious early, last stand. Yeah, if you want to say this is like like Christensen that this is one of the early dated uh, sagas. Man, there's it, so many echoes of the the outlaw yep. sagas here that it, you just feel like there's a little bit of not plagiarism, but uh, just again, I'll say echoes going right. on. Right, echoes, echoes. But anyway. of course, in the text as we as the, in the text as we have it, he is never outlawed, right? So it's no, no, he's not outlawed. We, we, we but can he's say that there like are outlaw, right, and the narrative moves forward like an outlaw saga rather yes. than a poet saga. So yes. Anyway, Kalf and Kali press the attack against Bjorn, but they don't kill him yet. They're waiting for Thor to arrive to finish him. Dalk of Husafell wants Dalk. to go ahead and kill him, Dalk, but. Bjorn breaks Dalk's leg with a sword blow, and so he's out of fight. Ah, Dalk is gone. I know. Wait, but so he breaks his leg. <laughs> what happened to chopping legs off? No, not this time. Bjorn got caught carrying a blunt sword, and he can't cut. He can't get it to cut properly. Mm. And in fact, at this point in the fight, he drops the sword and starts using a pair of sheep shears instead, which is kind of funny. He he's really not having a good day, is he? No, no. Although he does manage to wound several men and kill Thord's farmhand, Grim, with the shears, and he shaves nice. quite a few of them at the same time. <laughs> nice. Gets kind the of... pelt off in one go. Yeah, yeah. Cleans uh, up that back hair. Right. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Thord arrives, but he'd rather exchange insults with Bjorn than attack. His son Kali is attacking with the most force, but Bjorn says to him, I think I see that you are more gifted at other things. Than at tracing family trees. Why does he talk like that? <laughs> What's the voice you used before when you were? Did I? I don't remember using that whisper. Yeah, no, I was. I was trying to do my impression of you doing your impression of Bjorn. Look, I'll admit that uh, Brooklyn Bjorn is kind of ridiculous, but he's hardly Brooklyn Richard Harris's Dumbledore. <laughs> anyway, that's a thinly right. veiled reference to to Bjorn's claim to be Coley's father, right? Um. Yes. Anyway, uh, Coley gets the hint and immediately breaks off his attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's too late. Uh, Bjorn is badly wounded and surrounded, and the end is nigh. Thord, uh, of course, seeing his enemy bowed and bloodied before him, 
finally manages to strike against Bjorn, yeah, cutting badly. off his buttocks. Yeah. And then a second blow chops off his head. Yeah. It's a brutal ending for our hero, actually. Yeah, it it's very disappointing for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thor, Thor ties the head onto a saddle, and he rides off with it to visit Bjorn's parents. And Kalf rides to Bjorn's house to deliver the news to his wife, and the mm-hmm. rest of the men disperse to their homes. And the whole time, we're left with a deep sense of having been cheated. Yeah, absolutely. How the hell does Thor end up surviving in this saga? Mm-hmm. Not only surviving, but getting to deliver the fatal blow to Bjorn himself. Yeah, I feel like I, Fred Savage and the Princess Bride. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, this is a moment where you're just like, what? <laughs> you mean what? he wins? What did you read me this thing for? Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really disappointing. I mean, but I mean, as we know, part of the technique of the saga is creating a plausible historicality for the events. Mm. I mean, this may be the way the story was passed down through the generations or the way the author decided to spin the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, either way, it speaks to the harsh and uncompromising tone of the sagas. I, the only small consolation we get is that the killer's victory lap doesn't go so well. Uh, Kalf is told to take the news to Odney, since Thord's wife is sure to be among those mourning Bjorn's death. Thord, meanwhile, attempts to show off Bjorn's head to Bjorn's mother. What a jerk. Oh, I know. Uh, you imagine going she... to the mother and being like, eh? eh it's eh. rough. It's so mean. It's, ah, oh, he's such a jerk. Yeah. Uh, but Bjorn's mother is not about to break down in front of a man like Thord. No. Uh, instead, she says, I know that head. And you should know it, too, since you have often gone in fear of it when it was attached to its body. Go now and take it to Odney. She will like it better than that wretched little thing dangling from your neck. Yeah, that's a great line from a pretty tough old lady. <laughs> Maybe I'll take her as my thing, man. She's pretty awesome. She, she is, actually. <laughs> yeah. And she's right, by the way. I mean, when mm-hmm. Odney hears of Bjorn's death, she sinks into a depression that leaves her physically and mentally weakened. And, I, you know, though she's not been in the saga very much, yeah. I buy her depression far more than I do any of the other yeah. saga heroines or yep. or other ladies from the Warrior Poet sagas. Yeah, with only a few lines. It's really well drawn. Yeah, yeah. She does a great job. She really emerges at the right moment. Now, Thor spends his days walking a horse around while she rides it for air and exercise, which mm-hmm. occasions this final verse. Weary, I walk, leading the woman on horseback. Not a speedy ride for the sickly silk frith, day after day. For the hlock of pool fire finds nowhere rest from pain in her mind's fort. To sword moody, much sorrow that has brought. Hmm. Not uplifting. No, it's a serious bummer. Yeah, definitely one of the sadder endings of the poet sagas. But I mean, he brought it on himself. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, although, like, if you if you remember our uh, Gisli saga episode, that one doesn't end happy either. Well, no, but you know, for the warrior poets, this is pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, we're even told that Audney lives on like that for many years, just depressed, and it <laughs> oh, it, it paints a much more vivid picture than uh, than what mm-hmm. we saw in uh, was it Gunlaug saga? Yeah, where she, where she was so depressed and pines dies over the cloak, yes. pining over the cloak, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is much more gripping. It's sort of, it, it feels more real. Yeah, it does. Uh, but the uh, the saga's not over yet. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, no, no. We still got a little little coda. Um, Bjorn's brother Asgrim, if you remember him from the introduction. I don't. Uh, 
Yeah, no, he's 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 so not important in the saga. But we did uh, mention uh, until him. this moment, right? And we said he would be uh, important later, right? We warned you. I remember that part. Uh, so Bjorn's brother and uh, Bjorn's friend Thorstein Kuggason bring a case against Thord and the Killers at the next year's All Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thorstein is determined to seek outlawry judgments against the Killers, but Osgrim receives a messenger from Thord inviting him to a secret meeting. Yeah. Now we mentioned way back at the beginning of this episode that Bjorn had a brother, but because of the missing first chapters, Asgrim isn't mentioned in the modern edition of Bjorn's saga until this point, which is kind of disturbing, a little jarring, maybe. Yeah, and what we learn is that Asgrim hasn't shown up so far for a reason. Mm-hmm. He's he's not an important man on the Icelandic scene. Uh he's not used to dealing with the rich and powerful. He's politically naive and legally ignorant. And he's just way out of his depth dealing with a smooth talker like Thord. Yeah. So when Thord confronts him with a list of the men Bjorn's killed and then offers him a substantial sum in silver to make the case go away, Osgrim agrees to the deal. Yeah. Thorstein and his supporters are annoyed by the settlement when they learn about it, but they're determined to go ahead with the suit against uh, against Thord's crowd anyway. Mm-hmm. So Thorstein gathers the leading men of Bjorn's family and extended clan to discuss the issue with Thorkel Eilson, who's a friend of Thord's, but also a cousin of John's good buddy, Thorstein Kugason. Now, we should probably step back a moment here. The names are, at this point, I think, getting confusing for people. Yeah, I have no idea um, what's going on. Right. Ultimately, what's happening is that the group seeking revenge for Bjorn's death are meeting with Thord's most powerful supporter to get his help in invalidating the secret settlement between Thord and Asgrim. Right? If you say so. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Thord's supporters won't agree to invalidate Thord's deal with Asgrim, but they do agree that it shouldn't stop the plaintiffs from seeking justice from the other men who were involved in the killing. Now, you should just read the saga if you want to know what the hell we're talking about. (laughs) But Thorstein Kukasin pushes back and says that Thord will have to pay more than he's already paid if he wants to avoid outlawry. Right, and and we should say that Thorstein is essentially bluffing with a bad hand here. Uh, Thord's already got a deal with Osgrim, but Thorstein swears publicly that he won't consider Bjorn avenged by this deal, and since he's obligated to take revenge or get a good judgment against Bjorn's killers, Thord has to renegotiate uh, or live in fear of reprisals. Mm-hmm. Now, this sort of thing really shows the distinction between legal settlements and legal outcomes in the sagas. We saw mm-hmm. a different side of this in Provenkill Saga, for example. I mean, it's one thing to get a deal worked out at the assemblies, but it's another thing to get everyone to stick to those agreements. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, the only settlement that ultimately matters is the one that can be enforced, right? Yeah. Uh, and in this case, despite the pre-existing deal, Thord is forced to pay triple with what he's promised Osgrim. While Dalk and Kalf receive no compensation for their injuries and losses. Yeah. And a dozen of the men who were with them at the killing are sentenced to outlawry. Yeah, it's a hell of an outcome. I mean, word gets around that no one's death has ever been compensated as fully as Bjorn's. And there's some last-minute wrap-up to be done with Bjorn's parents moving in with Thorstein Kugason and Thord grumbling about the settlement. But that pretty much does it for Bjorn's saga, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, and, and for us, uh, our judgments are coming next, but in a separate episode, which will hopefully be up on the site soon. Yeah, uh, probably a week. Right, uh, depending on how long it takes me to dig out from under the blizzard that is actually starting outside my window as we're recording this. Oh, good for you. Uh, I personally, speaking of digging, I can't wait to dig into... Oh, uh, see what I did there? 
some of the weirder bits of this saga. Yeah. Uh, this one had a lot going on. Uh, dragons, betrayals, pornographic artwork, you name it. Yes, and if you like what we do, please uh, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, uh, maybe leave a rating, and uh, the comments always help. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye for now. Now, John, why don't you take Thord's part since I've been reading oh, um, so Bjorn's part? Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> there once was a man from Nantucket. <laughs> no, I, I remember hearing that first part when I was little and I could never figure out the rhyme. <laughs> and then I finally, as an adult, heard it and I was like, oh, uh-huh. that's very great. He's <laughs> well endowed. Ooh. <laughs>